scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. you would, uh, turn to Colossians 1 if you're not already there, and also if you can do two things at once, it would be helpful to turn to Acts 9 as well. As you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a little story about a sales pitch that I was a part of. Um, As an entrepreneur, I've been a part of starting several companies over the past 12 years, and with the church being my primary work responsibility now, I've sold out of most of those companies, Um, but the story I want to tell you a little bit about happened about five years ago with a popcorn company that I'd started, and I'll spare you a lot of the details, but I want to to share this experience of a sales pitch uh, that I had with one of the pro sports teams in downtown Indy. All right, so I got this meeting with this this sports team, and I went down to their offices, and I was supposed to meet with two guys. One guy was in charge of the concessions, and then I was supposed to meet with his boss as well, one of the executives who oversaw everything to do with the stadium experience and entertainment for the fans. So the receptionist sat me in the conference room, and, and only one guy came in. It was the, the guy in charge of concessions, and he told me the executive wouldn't be able to join us because he ended up being busy all day and he couldn't get away. And also, they already had popcorn in their stadium, so this wasn't really a need. It wasn't something they were actually that excited about. So I want to show you here what happened with, with the one guy in charge of concessions. He came in, and if our live stream is broken and you're just listening to this, I'm sitting down. All right, so he sat across from me at this conference room table, and I want you to take note of his posture. He kind of leaned back kind of put his arm here, and he kind of said, all right, I've got about 10 minutes. What do, you, what do you got for me? All right, this is his posture. It's relaxed, not that interested. He didn't really need this. And I could sense that, right? I, I, I could sense it. So I started talking to him a little bit about our product and, and kind of why I thought it would work in this setting specifically. 
Okay, and it went beyond popcorn. It was kind of a bigger, bigger idea about just the overall concessions, how it kind of matched with some of the things they were doing already. And, and about a minute or two into it, something changed. Again, this is not going to transfer well if it's just audio, but he kind of went from here, leaning back pretty comfortably, and then he, he starts kind of looking at me more like, oh, okay. Then all of a sudden, the, the, the magical thing happened. He went from here to here, right? So the table's here. Now I'm, now I'm leaning in. I'm fully engaged, all right? There's a huge posture change. He leaned in. His, so, his, so his posture changed because the words that were revealed to him as we talked made him want more, right? So he, he was passive, not really interested. So he went from that to now he's leaning in. Now he's asking questions. Now, now he's kind of starting to drive the conversation. He has passion. He has excitement. That He can kind of see a vision, right? You can tell there's kind of some hope. He's engaged more. And he was now watching me closer. He was waiting for me to answer. He was, he was ready to listen. Okay, and I knew he was more interested in his because of his posture change than actually anything that he was saying. I know that he didn't like sit there strategically and think, man, if I lean forward a little bit, he'll be able to tell that I'm kind of interested. There wasn't that, right? It's because whatever affected his heart, he saw this hope, whatever affected his mind, that just naturally caused his posture to shift. He leaned in, he wanted more. And, and I, wanted to, I wanted a real example of that. We're not going to talk much more about that at all. That's not the point, but, but we're going to talk a lot about posture today. And so I want to give you an example of how, how our posture changes based on how our heart condition is. Right? He could have told me anything in that moment. He could have told me, no, we don't need anything. But once he engaged and leaned forward, he, that kind of told me everything. So we're going to talk a lot about posture today. You might get tired of the word posture today. That's okay. That, that's purposeful. But specifically, we're going to talk about the posture of our hearts. And that when God reveals his word to us, the hearts of his people respond and act. Something happens when God reveals his word to his people. And there's a danger that exists because there's a warning attached to that as well for some of us, all right? And so uh, it's never fun to give warnings, but I think that's where we're supposed to go today. But we need help, so, so let's pray. And I, I would ask you to pray with me. Don't just, don't just listen to my prayer, but pray and ask God to help you. And pray and ask God to help us together. Lord, you are good to bring us back together today, but Lord, we need your help. Speak to us from your word. Speak to your people through your word today, Lord. Help us, give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are going to begin in Colossians 1. Our text today is, is 24 through 29, but we come out of the earlier part of, Saul, of uh, Paul's letter. He's magnifying Christ. He's talking about the preeminence of Christ. And then we get to verses 21 through 23, where 
Paul is identifying the need for the gospel, right? Look, look at 21. It says, You were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but Christ reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if, this is, this is kind of a key, a key if, if you continue faithfully, essentially is his message, meaning the fruit of a true Christian, the evidence of a Christian would be one that continues in the faith. There's an action there, stable and steadfast, it says, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Then Paul finishes verse 23 by saying that this hope of the gospel is what he became a minister of. All right, that leads us into verse 24. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. We're going to stop there in the middle of 25. All right, let's look back at, at verse 24 there, where it says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. I want to protect us here, okay? So I want to, I want to look at that verbiage, because if, if we're not careful, that can be badly misunderstood, right? It could come across that something in Christ is lacking, just because that word lacking is used. Almost like, like Paul has to, has to fill up or, or fix something that was lacking in Christ. In church, that's not the case, all right? Sunday School 101 tells us that Jesus is everything, right? That, that's affirmed in his word, Okay, nothing is lacking in Christ. Instead, it's actually connected with suffering for the sake of the body. It's, it's, connected, it's connected with the ongoing trials that exist as God's people. Okay, look back a couple verses in Colossians 1. Look at verse 19. And talking about Christ, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus and the suffering that happened on the cross was fully sufficient in saving us from our sin and reconciling us to God. So that's not what this word lacking means here. What's lacking then, or needing to be filled up, instead is referring to the trials and suffering that are necessary for God's people when Jesus Rose, Jesus isn't here on earth anymore. These trials are necessary, though, as God's kingdom faces the opposition of the world. That is our reality today that we live with day in and day out. And Paul, Paul used to be a big part of the opposition, right? A lot of us know the Saul to Paul conversion, but we're going to go back. That's why I asked you to turn to Acts 9 or, or keep a finger there. Let's, let's go there now. And we're going to revisit Paul's conversion from back when his name was Saul. And specifically, we're going to revisit that and look at, look at the posture. We're going, to, we're going to let this theme of, of posture play out. We're going to look a little more closely at people's posture. So Acts 9. All right, it says, But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. All right, let's stop their posture, right? Breathing threats and murder against the Lord. We can see this, this probably aggressive heart, right? This very confident, very bold approach to life. 
to the point where he was going to the high priest asking if he could go and, and, and persecute Christians more, right? Very proud, very full of himself in his own power. That's the posture that exists. Into verse 2, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, meaning those following Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. There's a change in posture, right? This thing knocked him to the ground. He's not, he's not very bold and in charge anymore. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This has knocked Saul down now. It's put the power in the right place. Verse 6 says, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. does not sound like Saul has the power, right? He has to wait to be told what to do. This humbles him. Verse 7, The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened... He saw nothing. So it looked like he could see, but he really couldn't. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Verse 9, And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Posture. The posture of Ananias. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Verse 11, the Lord tells Ananias, he said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Remember Saul's posture earlier? Now Saul's praying? Showing that he depends on someone else? Verse 12, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias, here comes a little posture change with him. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So he's kind of, he kind of backs up a little bit, right? Initially he said, here I am, Lord, use me, right? Fully ready. Now it's like, ah, but wait a second. This guy, have you, Lord, have you heard about this guy? There's a little wrestling there, right? A, a, a little bit of tension. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias, back to the right posture, obeyed. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. We'll stop there. This began the ministry of Paul. His name was changed from Saul to Paul, and his life was fully committed to being a minister of the gospel. 
We saw a lot of posture changes there. Let's remember what happened as we go. Okay, so Paul continues in verse 25 there, back to Colossians 1, verse 25. He's identified himself as a minister. We kind of saw how, how the initial piece of that happened. And so what, what's his charge as a minister of the gospel? Continuing in Colossians 1, verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, which means all people there, not just Jews, but Gentiles, all people, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So St. Paul's responsibility as a steward of the gospel is to help make the word of God fully known. We see the, the word mystery show up twice here, once in 26, once in 27. And mystery here is defined by Paul as the word of God in 26. And then in 27, it's defined as Christ in you, the hope of glory. And further, what it says about this mystery is it's been hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. All right, we know that God had been revealing things about himself to his people throughout history before Christ had come, right? So his beauty in creation, his power, his goodness, his provisions, on and on and on. We, we saw God revealing things to his people. But up to that point, one of the things still unrevealed was this promised Messiah, the Redeemer that would eventually come and restore right order between God and man. All right, it's what the prophets in the Old Testament spoke about. And, and people, people believed it. They expected it, but there was just a lot of confusion. They didn't know how this would play out. They didn't know like, what, what phenomenon this would be, this Redeemer, this, this Messiah. But the promise was that, that a Savior would eventually come and restore right order between God and man. So what Paul is writing about here is that when God sent Jesus to earth, it finally revealed what ultimate purpose and plan was promised by God. That finally revealed the plan. Jesus was this word of God that was revealed. The mystery revealed, the mystery that says the word of God was Christ, our Savior. Right from John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, became human, and dwelt among us. That's describing Christ walking on earth. So Paul's saying that this Word of God that's been revealed is Jesus. Now as a minister of this good news, it's his mission to help make this Christ, this, this Word of God revealed more fully known and to show people how they can experience incredible joy and incredible richness in Christ and only in Christ. And we know Paul also got to play a huge part of the revealing of God's word in the scriptures, right? Because through the writings of the of, of all the apostles, which which all point to Christ in their writings, that represented the final disclosure of God's word to mankind. 
So God's Word revealed also was through the Scriptures, through our Bibles. Okay, at that time, they only had the Old Testament. That would have been Jesus' Bible. That would have been Paul's Bible. The Scriptures they used was the Old Testament. And now God, revealing Himself more through the Apostles' writing, gave us the full, finished disclosure of God's Word to mankind. Excuse me. So when Paul says, make the word of God fully known, he doesn't mean that it can be fully understood. That's not the point, right? We're never instructed to try and figure out God. Anytime mankind has pursued that, it's ended very poorly, right? Think Tower of Babel or go, go research Tower of Babel. Countless other examples of trying to either be God or figure him out fully. It always ends in destruction, so it doesn't mean fully understood and comprehended, but, but instead it means that the mystery of who or what the Messiah was had finally been revealed. Okay, And unlike how we typically think of mysteries culturally, what that, when that mystery was revealed, it didn't close the case or it didn't solve the case. It wasn't like mystery solved, done, move on. Instead... That's when God's people were given an opportunity to respond accordingly. That's when we were kind of given this opportunity for our posture to change. Deuteronomy 29.29 is such a helpful verse to remember if and when you're ever wrestling with trying to understand God fully or or just thinking that you have to maybe try to figure everything out. It's like you can only only truly be settled if this thing that happened, you can can kind of say, oh, that that probably happened because this, this, and this, or or maybe God was trying to do this, this. It's like you have to explain it yourself in order to to be okay with it. That's, That's never an instruction, church. So Deuteronomy 29, 29 is helpful. It's kind of a helpful freeing verse, but it's also helpful to show us responsibility. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Such a freeing verse, because this tells us there's still going to be hidden mysteries. And that's good, because we cannot fully ever figure God out. That's a freeing thing. In our own strength, that, that, that feels just the opposite. It feels like, wait, if we, if we can't explain everything, that, that we have to give up control. That's, that's, that's the point here. That's the goal. It puts us in a posture of humility when we don't have control. So it tells us there's going to be hidden mysteries, but it also tells us that things that have been revealed to us give us a responsibility to act. Or I should say give God's people a responsibility to act. To act. So the goal today, what I want us to see is that once the mystery was revealed to be Christ about 2,000 years ago, from that point on, it gave God's people a new responsibility. And if we respond appropriately with the right posture, we'll get to experience the riches of the glory of Christ in us, the hope of glory that this text talks about in Colossians 1. The depth of the riches of this glory of Christ, this hope of glory. Hope is a future-facing word and idea. 
We don't hope in something that already happened. Hope is looking forward. And it's what takes this from being a simple mystery that's solved to a much deeper promise, right? God chose to reveal to us that there are unsearchable riches in the Savior, and then He gifted us with the Holy Spirit so that we can act appropriately, so that we can experience those unsearchable riches. So with with the mystery revealed, if we respond to that through faith, then it starts a journey for us instead of ending a journey. It starts a journey instead of ending a case that's been solved. It gives us eyes to see for the first time. It it causes us to be born again, like like beginning a new life that comes with the hope of glory. We think back to the story in Acts. It says something literally like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And it's like new life began. And we know a true follower of Christ when their posture is one that's consistently leaning in, that's consistently acting on this revealed mystery and seeking him through his revealed word, first as Christ coming to earth and now as his word in the scriptures. Right, And then further, if you look back to 24, verse 24, that points out part of this revealed plan is that this, would, this gets to take place with a group of other Christians. What a good gift. The body of Christ, the church. So if you follow this, follow this path here, God gave us individually the gift of the Holy Spirit to now live according to his word. We can actually see this now and understand it. Through the mystery revealed that was Christ, saving us of our sins, opening our eyes, and now we get to live with Christ in us as we live among others who also have Christ in them. This is a good gift. This togetherness is a good gift and good to experience that today a little bit more than we have the past couple months. So if we respond to faith in Christ, our responsibility then is to act. Our posture will just naturally change. But how are we to act is the question. With what posture? What takes us from just being kind of like another Christian concept? Like, yeah, pursue God and, you know, seek Christ. It, those are true. But like, what's, what's, what does this actually look like? How are we to act? With what posture? Thankfully, verse 28 exists to help show us. Look with me. Colossians 1, 28, it says, Him, talking about Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. If we just look at 28 and kind of break that down, in verse 28, maturity in Christ is directly linked with wisdom. And there are actions involved. It says, Him we proclaim. That's an action. Warning everyone. That's an action. Teaching everyone. Those are action words. But, but, but look, with what posture are we to do those things? With all wisdom, it says. 
So this says, if we take a posture of truly seeking wisdom, then we'll be on this path to maturity in Christ ourselves, and then we'll be able to help others toward maturity in Christ. That's what Paul's saying as a minister of, of this, of this gospel, this good news, as a minister of this, that's his goal. But he has to pursue it with wisdom, and that's not just for him. Right? That's not just for me and Grant and Gary. This is for anyone who is seeking him with the right posture. Seeking wisdom. The downside of this, though, is that maturity in Christ doesn't just happen to us. If we, if we said a prayer 15 years ago, but our posture never really changed... That's a warning to us. Maturity in Christ doesn't just happen to us without the pursuit of wisdom, without leaning in and acting. And so how do we pursue wisdom? And this is where it gets a little bit challenging. Understand, we don't have to fully grasp this. We don't have to fully understand this today. I hope we can lean into it a little bit in faith afterward, even if, it, if it's kind of a strange concept. But, but church, part, part of the beauty of this mystery revealed is not only that Christ came to die for our sins, all right? That was the foundational one. We, we had to have that. But that didn't just happen by itself, In addition to that, Christ himself is now wisdom for us as we live. This is what can kind of, it's kind of a confusing concept, all right? Said a different way, we get to live with Christ as our wisdom. Christ, when he came to earth, became wisdom in the flesh. Wisdom became flesh when Christ came to earth. So when it says Christ in us in verse 27, what that would look like is that would look like us walking in wisdom, wisdom according to his revealed word, because Christ would be affecting our every move. And if Christ is affecting our moves, if our posture is leaning into his word and to prayer and communing with his saints who are also doing this, that posture, the, the thing that would identify, identify us is collectively, we're all kind of leaning in, kind of waiting and watching, look and say, speak, your servant is listening. The first part of Ananias is that here I am, Lord. The way to pursue wisdom is to take a posture of humility that puts on display that you aren't enough on your own. Think back to Saul, right? The beginning of chapter 9 in Acts, aggressive, right? Aggressive, hostile. Whether he was yelling at people all the time or not, you could just see him walking around very proudly in his own strength. And culturally, when Paul wrote this, not much different from today, wisdom and knowledge were highly valued. Highly valued in that day. So Paul's sharing a countercultural message here with the church at Colossae that, that there's a much greater wisdom available 
There's a, there's a source that's much better than you and your own strength, and it cannot come from simple humans. It can't come from created beings. It has to come from the Creator. And, and if, we, if we live with Christ as our wisdom, if that's the posture we take, if that's the lens we're looking through, that's when we can truly be equipped to be wise because our actions will reflect Him. Our actions will, will reflect His character. They'll be consistent with His revealed Word. But our posture has to change from trying to control everything to a posture that looks to Christ for wisdom and then responds accordingly. From 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and then 29 through 31. I just realized Grant's running the thing back there. and He's not real good. Usually. All right, it is up there. No offense, Grant. Um, verse 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. On to verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, here it is, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul is a minister of the gospel and an example for all of us because he boasts not in himself. He boasts in the Lord, right? He, he, he accounts many times, uh, one from 1 Corinthians 11, where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? Imitate me only as I imitate Christ. Church, we too, as we pursue wisdom... We can actually be an example to one another as we boast in Christ and demonstrate that we're committed to Him. That's when the church is the church. We can actually help one another. If marriage is a struggle for me 11 years in, and I can look over here to a seasoned married couple who are pursuing Christ, what a gift that is for my wife and I to go talk with them. Not because we hope in them. Not because the end goal is them. But it's because they're looking to Christ. So as we talk to them about marriage, they're, they're not pointing us to strategies. They're not saying this. It, they're, they're just pointing to him. And that helps realign us. But if Christ is not their wisdom, they're going to point to themselves. They're going to just give us stuff from their own strength and their own ideas. And that's going to end up void and flat and shallow. Remember back to Colossians 1, 21 and 23. And you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. The mystery was revealed. Verse 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. 23, if though, the if comes back. If you continue faithfully. You'll be able to continue faithfully as long as Christ is your wisdom. So what, what's our posture? What is our posture? Church, are we actually following him? Are we leaning in? How many of you are familiar with the game Follow the Leader? Anybody familiar with that game? 
Follow the leader. If you're not, if you're not familiar, it's, it's an easy game where you kind of walk in a line, and whatever the leader does, everyone behind them has to imitate that. Right? So you're walking, and there's a leader, whatever this is, a march, I guess, and then the leader decides to do this. So then everyone behind, they're, they're kind of watching, yep, i got to do this. Sometimes the leader gets crazy, right? They, they do two things at once, maybe. They, they pat their head, and then back here, they're kind of looking, and, oh, yep, yep, the head pat. Follow the leader, right? We, we've done that. What makes someone good at follow the leader? If you were watching and observing a game of follow the leader, and you were maybe watching the third person back, what would make them good at that game? In order to be good at follow the leader, you have to constantly be watching, right? Constantly be watching. Constantly be walking in a way that shows that you're looking ahead. And sometimes, what about a big game of follow the leader, especially social distancing age, right? We're six feet apart. What if there's like 30 people? We're, we're talking like, that's bigger than a football field long. And what if you're, what if you're 18 people back? in a social distance game of follow the leader? What if you can't see the leader directly the whole time, or or very clearly the whole time? What has to happen? You, you, You have to imitate the person in front of you, basically. You have to, and you have to hope that they're doing the right thing. There's a responsibility to do your part because others are watching you. Our kids are watching us. They're watching our posture. They're, they're watching what we hope in. If, if our posture is, is engaged in the world, I guess over here is the world. If, if, if they're engaged in the world, engaged on their devices, social media, internet, then that's the stuff that's going to trickle in to their life. And, and, and the posture and the fruit of that is going to reflect that of the world, not that of the revealed word, not wisdom. There's a responsibility to do your part. There's a responsibility to act. And, and this isn't a passive thing. That's why it ends Colossians 1, 29. That's why he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Church, we're told we, we, have to, we have to wrestle. We saw Ananias earlier. Initially, he had that right posture, but then we saw some wrestling. That, that's how God works this out in us. But we have a responsibility to pursue wisdom so that we can rightly proclaim God to one another. Imitate me only as I imitate him. We can only rightly proclaim God to one another, as verse 28 said. We can only rightly warn one another and teach one another if we're pursuing wisdom. What might that look like? Let's look to Proverbs 8, 32-36. And now, O sons, listen. There's an act. Listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction from his word and be wise. And do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching 
daily at my gates. You see that posture, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And here's the warning, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. You see that posture, watching, waiting. A loving warning for those of you who may think that you're in Christ. But this is helping you reflect on your posture over the years and, and maybe you realize you're not really pursuing wisdom because you're not really engaged in his word or in prayer or with others who know his word. If you're not pursuing wisdom through God's word, you're not being responsible for this mystery revealed. And, and you're not going to look like, in the game of follow leader, you're not going to look like a follower of Christ. And because of that, when we talk about doing this together, because of that, you're not really going to have a lot to offer your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're not pursuing wisdom, you won't be able to rightly proclaim Christ. Any warnings you issue won't really reflect the wisdom of Christ. It will instead reflect the world. We'll, We'll warn like the world warns politically. That will be the warning. With, with outside motivations, with worldly wisdom and selfishness and greed motivating that. Your warnings will be shallow, your teachings will be shallow, they'll be flawed, and they'll start to reflect the world. And they'll start like becoming more about self. And the more that trickles in, it'll be self-glorification. Self-glorification. A little bit of this, a little bit of God's word trickled in, so, so it gets kind of cloudy We have to pursue wisdom first before we engage with the world. That's what equips us to be able to think of things rightly and make right decisions and choices. We won't be able to consistently rejoice in trials because our view of Christ in us will be shallow. We'll think we deserve things that we we aren't getting. And church, I want us to be used by God. Just like, like God used Ananias, right? He called him. He said, here I am, Lord. Use me. The posture, use me. He was ready to be used. He was ready to proclaim Christ. He was ready to act because of Christ. And don't forget, he didn't just perfectly obey. He pushed back a little bit. That's good news for us. God uses imperfect people to do his work. That's a gift. We'll still shake a little bit. We'll still wrestle. We'll still question. But if you're not actively pursuing wisdom, people won't see you rejoice in the, in the midst of trials. People won't come to you for insight who are seeking God because they don't see that in you. They know you're just going to give them a, a worldly and simple and shallow answer. You'll, you'll just blend in with the world. So we need to walk with Christ as our wisdom. Proverbs 13.20 We'll end on this note. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm.
Whoever walks with the wise becomes more wise. With Christ as our wisdom, but the companion of fools, the world, will suffer harm. So if we pursue wisdom with Christ as our wisdom, only then will we be able to proclaim him rightly, because we'll be rooted in his revealed word, not wisdom of the world. We'll be able to protect one another. It's a beautiful picture. It's, it's, why, it's why the church is a together picture. We'll be able to rightly protect one another. We'll be able to rightly warn one another when we see danger. We'll be able to teach sound doctrine from God's word. If our posture is humble and ready, if we're collectively leaning in, say, here I am, Lord, use me, then he will use us. And that's when we get to experience these riches that it talks about. We all have to do our part, though. So it's, it's a beautiful gift that God lets us do this together, but, but we've got to lean in, church. Let me pray for us. We need help.